Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I appreciate that, Stu. That's very appropriate, especially on today that's uh, Reformation Sunday. That was quite wonderful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Using one of the Pew Bibles there, it's page 988. 1 Thessalonians 5. pray for help. Oh, Holy Spirit, we do pray that you would now illuminate our minds and hearts. We'd be fed by your word. Help us to see how all scripture is inspired by God and how all scripture climaxes in the person and work of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. This is God's word. Do not quench the spirit. May God give us ears to hear his word. You've probably noticed this, but virtually everybody is on a quest to find the secret in life. Thousands of books have been written on this topic. Countless TED Talks and speeches have been given on this topic. This theme comes up in movies, popular songs, TV shows, conversations. Everybody believes there's this secret out there to the happy, fulfilled life. Am I right? Just to illustrate how obsessed we are with this idea, I searched the phrase secret to life on Amazon. And then I limited myself to just self-help books, because when you just put anything, you know, it comes up with coffee mugs and calendars and, you know, billions of things. So I limited it to just self-help books. And currently, there are over 20,000 self-help books available for sale on Amazon, claiming to share with you the secret to life. The titles of many of these were revealing. They include Seven Secrets to Creating a Life You Love. The Japanese secret to a long and happy life. Secret, uh, secrets to wealth and happiness hidden in plain sight. Seven secrets to living a happier life. And a 102-year-old doctor's six secrets to health and happiness at every age. Now, just for full disclosure, I have not read any of those books, and I doubt I'd recommend any of them. I do, however, think that this quest to find the secret for life, in one sense, it's built on a Christian foundation. Uh, while I don't think most of the secrets available out there are Christian in any sense, I think the quest, this idea that there's this secret out there that can fix my life in a way that's built on a Christian worldview. Why do I say that? Well, first, this entire secret to life idea, it assumes that life is not what it should be or what it could be. It assumes that life is broken and in need of repair. Uh, what is that other than the Christian idea of the fall and original sin? But additionally, the other reason why I think this idea sort of assumes a Christian worldview, it assumes that the truth I need to live the happy, fulfilled, content life, it's not found in here. It's not found by me searching my heart. It's out there, and it needs to be communicated. It needs to be revealed to me, which again is remarkably similar to the entire idea of revelation and Christian special revelation. Well, believe it or not, but the Bible actually gives us the secret to life. It doesn't use that terminology, obviously. If you, you know, use the concordance, you're not going to find secret to life in the Bible. But nonetheless, the Bible does tell us how to have a fulfilled life, a rich life, a happy life, a spiritually stable life, a life characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. The Bible uses several different terms to describe this secret to life. Sometimes it's called fearing the Lord. Sometimes it's called abiding in Christ. Sometimes it's called walking in the light or meditating on God's word or delighting in the law of the Lord or communion with God. 
I take those as all essentially synonyms for the same experience. But one more term the Bible uses to describe what we would call the secret to life is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible is clear that if you can figure out how to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to remain filled with the Holy Spirit, which is just as important, your life will be dramatically more joyful, dramatically more loving, dramatically more content, peaceful, stable, patient. You'll have an assurance of God's love for you, a confidence of the sure and certain hope of heaven, and a thousand other good things. All that and so much more are the side effects of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. It's highly likely that being filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean what you think it means. Satan loves to spread lies and confusion, especially in the most important topics, topics in life. Never forget that idea. I'll say that again if you were not tuning in. Satan loves to spread lies and confusion, especially in the most important topics in life. So it shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us at all that Satan has sown all sorts of confusion, misunderstanding, and basically false teaching on this vital idea of what it means to be filled with God's Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How practically can I experience this? Uh, what should I anticipate if I can figure out how to be filled with the Holy Spirit and if I practice that regularly? By God's grace, these are some of the questions we're going to be talking about this morning. Well, it's with this that we continue our series entitled, Your Relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you remember back in time, all of this was inspired by 1 Thessalonians 5.19. In our ongoing study of 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we came to, do not quench the Spirit. The problem, however, as I've contended many times, is that most Christians don't understand enough about the Holy Spirit to even put that verse into practice. We don't understand who He is and what His ministries are uh, to obey that verse. So what we've been doing in this series is slowing down and laying a foundation. Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do so that eventually we can put 1 Thessalonians 5.19 into practice? Now, for the sake of time, I won't review everything that we've covered in this series. I'd encourage you to check online to see what topics we've covered already. But this is the eighth sermon, and by the grace of God, we have talked about some very helpful and wonderful topics in this series. I know that many of you have commented, uh, this is the first time you've ever studied the Holy Spirit in depth, and you've found it very helpful. I appreciate those comments. That was my hope for this series. Well, today, like I said, we're going to be talking about this vital ministry of being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does this mean, and how might I experience it? Well, let's talk first about being filled with the Spirit throughout the Bible, throughout the entire Bible. What does the entire Bible teach us about this experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, nearly all Christians agree that being filled with the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital for Christians. Uh, regardless of your denomination, regardless of what you think about, say, Pentecostal charismatic gifts, all true believers understand that this is something that's very, very important to experience. The book of Acts emphasizes repeatedly that the first Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's more, it connects being filled with the Holy Spirit to things like wisdom, faith, effectively proclaiming the gospel, goodness, and joy. The explosive growth that the early church experienced in those early chapters you know, where there are like 3,000 saved on one day, that's often connected to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Consequently, whatever it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit is incredibly important, essential. Now, if you've been around Christianity much at all, you'll know that there is a lot of disagreement and a lot of debate around different ministries of the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians, uh, some of whom are, you know, are definitely our brothers and sisters in Christ that we would agree with on other issues. We disagree on the ministries of the Spirit. And here, too, there is enormous disagreement on what it means to be filled with the Spirit. As you probably know, Pentecostal and Charismatic Christians, 
Again, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, they understand the Spirit's filling primarily in terms of miraculous supernatural experiences, often associated with speaking in tongues. And as I was preparing the sermon, I really think that that view has kind of won the day in wider culture. If you were to ask your average American, what do you imagine when you think of being filled with the Holy Spirit? They're probably going to think of charismatic Pentecostal phenomena. I remember seeing a movie several years ago, and if you can guess what movie I'm describing, I'll let you have a free book from the free book table. But this particular movie, uh, the family's in church and the pastor's just droning on, this boring sermon, you know, it's absolutely meaningless. All of a sudden, in the third row, I'm tempted to tell, tell you who the character is, but I won't. Third row, a guy jumps up. He starts just blabbering on in gibberish moves out into the middle of the, hall, the, the aisle here, starts rolling around on the floor, kicking in circles, don't say anything. Shh, no, no, don't, don't, give, don't give it away. I, I hear people whispering. But he's kicking around in circles. Uh, then he jumps up and says some vague prophecy, passes out, and goes kind of comatose. Uh, I'm afraid that's how most people think being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. But with all these sorts of things, we want to look at Scripture. What does the Bible teach about being filled with the Holy Spirit? Is it this sort of ecstatic thing where I lose control of my faculties, or is it something that's rather quite normal, uh, something that we right now might be experiencing? Well, unlike some works of the Holy Spirit, such as indwelling, sealing, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not unique to the church age. Uh, This is not one of those ministries that only takes place at Pentecost. The Old Testament repeatedly speaks of individuals being filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the point I want you to get from the Old Testament. The Old Testament most often connects being filled with the Holy Spirit with speaking God's Word. Keep that detail in mind, it'll come up later. But the Old Testament most often connects being filled with the Holy Spirit with speaking God's Word. So, for example, 1 Samuel 10.10. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. Micah 3.8, as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to, de- to declare to Jacob his transgression. Luke one forty one. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, blessed are you among women. One more, Zechari- uh, pardon me, Luke 1.67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, keep that little detail in mind, it'll come up later on in the sermon. Now, when we move to the New Testament, the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it actually comes up 15 times. However, most of these passages don't describe how one can be filled with the Holy Spirit, or really even what it means. They just describe that a person was filled with the Spirit. So, for instance, Acts 6.5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Or again, Acts 13.52, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, certainly those verses are inspired by God and beneficial for our teaching and instruction and so forth, but they don't give us a lot of insight into how someone can be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm so thankful for Ephesians 5. So consider with me next being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18-21. Being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18-21. And you might even want to turn there. I'm going to have the verses up on the wall. I'll bring up that next slide if you would. Ephesians 5, 18-21 is the most comprehensive passage in the entire Bible explaining the Spirit's filling ministry. This is the passage I think we need to turn to to really get a grasp on what uh, this experience is all about. Bring up those verses, if you would. Ephesians 5, 18-20. Now, there are several important things I want you to notice about this passage. First, this entire section is directed to Christians, not non-Christians. To believers, not unbelievers. Were you to go back in the context, the folks to whom Ephesians is written, they're described as saints. 
as those chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world, as those who have been made alive in Christ, sealed by God's Spirit, and dwelt by God's Spirit. They're God's beloved children. Those terms can only describe believers in Jesus. What this means for us is that the Spirit's filling is not something you should seek if you've not yet put your hope in Jesus. All right, keep that in mind. If you've not yet turned from your sin and embraced the Lord Jesus as your only hope in life and in death, the Spirit's filling is not something that's, that's really available to you. Instead, you're to turn to Jesus and embrace him. I realize that most of what I'm about to say in this sermon is not applicable to non-Christians, but do get this point, that until you turn from sin and embrace the Lord Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit is simply an impossibility. Second thing I want you to notice about this passage, second how being, notice second how being filled with the Holy Spirit is a command. It's actually a command. What's verse 18 say? Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, that being filled with the Holy Spirit's a command, I think it implies a couple of things. First, this implies that this is an activity that you, believer, are actively involved in. You know, you're not filled against your will. It's not like you're just walking down the street thinking about something else and all of a sudden you get zapped and filled. No, you must do something in order to be filled. It's, it's an obedience thing. You might illustrate what I'm trying to get at this way. Imagine the Holy Spirit as this continual flowing waterfall. Continually flowing. Just this, you know, if you've ever been to like Niagara Falls, something like that. That's how the Holy Spirit is. But for me to have my cup fill, I've got to turn and put my cup under that waterfall. You see, I'm active involved in that. The Spirit's obviously the one doing the filling, but I have a role of obedience. The second reason why it's important to emphasize that this is a command since we believe that Christians can sin, what that means is that it's possible for true Christians to not be filled with the Spirit from time to time. Uh, you, you know, just because something's a command, don't assume that all true Christians always do that. You know, we all don't perfectly love our neighbor. We all perfectly don't love God. It's a shame we wish we did and we long for heaven when we will. But when something's commanded, that implies that there are true Christians out there that don't do this. So also, there are true Christians out there that either due to ignorance or laziness or bad teaching or whatever, are not experiencing the Spirit's filling like they could. Possible that you're in that category. Now, the Spirit's filling, it is very different from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is permanent. Don't confuse these ideas. You can be indwelt and not filled. Ideally, you're both, but they are different. The indwelling, I know we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that happens the nanosecond you trust in Jesus. And it's permanent. The Spirit will never leave you or forsake you. He'll preserve you all the way to heaven. The Spirit is a different sort of thing altogether. Again, it's something where you're obedient and you're putting your cup under that faucet of the Spirit being poured out. I think both of those ideas are implied in the fact that this is a command. Another thing I want you to notice about this passage, notice what the Spirit's filling results in. And these are huge. As I read this passage, verses 19 through 21 are the results, sort of the side effects. If you can figure out how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what you could expect in life. Let me read it again. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me make a few quick comments on each of those. First, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What's that? That's worship. 
worship, you'll motivate, you'll be motivated to give God the praise that he's due, and you'll notice it's in a congregational context. Not just, you know, singing in the shower or something like that, uh, but to your brothers and sisters in the family of God, you'll be motivated to praise God. Anybody feel like you're lacking in motivation to praise God? You feel like worship's kind of boring and dead and dry? Perhaps the secret you need is really not so much of a secret, it's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Additionally, it says you'll give thanks always and for everything. Would being more grateful help you? Would anyone benefit from you know, being more filled with thankfulness? I think all of us would. We recognize that there is a connection here, that gratitude's kind of the flip side of joy. If I want to be more joyful, I cultivate my gratitude. Well, again, a benefit of being filled with the Spirit is that you're grateful. And then lastly, it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think that's just another way to describe love or selflessness. You want to be more loving? Figure out how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. In our world that's constantly on the hunt for the secret to life, here's something that will move you to delightful worship, that will move you to gratitude, that will move you to be more loving. And just ask yourself, would you appreciate experiencing that? I mean, who wants that? Do you want that? I want that. I mean, imagine your family. Would your family be in a better place if everybody experienced this sort of thing? Would our church family, our congregation be in a better place if we all, would our our nation be in a better place if more and more people experience? Of course. Everybody would be blessed, and that's why it's the secret to life. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Since the Spirit's filling results in so many wonderful things, listen to what John MacArthur says about this, and I find this so, in, in a way it's obviously short, but think about the significance of what he says here. Outside the command for unbelievers to trust in Christ for salvation, There is no more practical and necessary command in Scripture than the one for believers to be filled with the Spirit. Well, all of this begs the question, what then does it really mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, mean, how, how, how can I experience? I want to experience what you're describing. It sounds really good. Well, vital here is rightly defining that word filled. This is where I think a lot of people go wrong. Like our English word filled, the Greek word filled can be used in a wide, wide variety of ways. You know, just think about English. We talk about filling up a bag with groceries. We talk about somebody being filled with anger. You can fill out a form. If somebody missed a meeting, you can fill them in. Uh, At Thanksgiving, I fill my stomach with food. I mean, there's lots of ways that we use the word filled, and, and if I get the wrong definition, I'll come to the wrong conclusion. So also with the Greek word, if I define it incorrectly, uh, I can be really confused as to what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, looking here at Ephesians 5.18, the particular word used for filled here, it can mean to be controlled by or led by. Okay, to be controlled by or led by. And again, we talk this way in English when we say that so-and-so is filled with anger or so-and-so is filled with wisdom, so-and-so is filled with love. You know, if I say Brother Bud was filled with love, what, what, what am I communicating? He was so controlled by love that love's basically dictating and shaping his actions. All right? I think this definition of what it means to be filled by the Spirit is confirmed if you look at what being filled with the Spirit is contrasted with. What's the bad sinful activity that you're not to do that functions as sort of a contrast to being filled with the Spirit? You see it? Getting drunk with wine. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think Paul chooses this metaphor intentionally, not metaphor, this other activity intentionally because it helps us understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. There's some ways in which spirit's filling is similar to being controlled by liquor. 
Now, think through this. In both cases, a sufficient amount of a substance is put into somebody until their entire thinking and behavior is shaped. You know, the drunk, he's so filled with liquor that his behavior and thinking is shaped. The spirit-filled person, they're so filled with the spirit that their behavior and thinking is shaped. You following me? Additionally, how does somebody remain drunk? By the sheer grace of God, I've never gotten drunk in my life. But from what I gather, if you want to stay drunk, you've got to keep pouring the liquor into you. Am I right? Anybody want, anybody want to test, testify? Uh, nobody wants to, nobody's, I'm not, it's, it's especially silent right now for some reason. But if you want to remain drunk, you've got to continue pouring the liquor in. Likewise, if you want to remain filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got to continue pouring the Holy Spirit in. That, I mean, that, that joke was not meant to derail my entire sermon, okay? You, you follow me? Keep these details in mind. Again, we're going to tie all of this up in a minute. Again, all of this sounds good, but we still haven't gotten to the how question. We've seen how important it is to be filled with the Spirit. We've seen some of the benefits. We've seen some of the connections with uh, being drunk and, and how they might relate. Let's see if we can tie this together. And let's talk thirdly about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think the key here is actually the connection with Colossians 3. So bring up that next slide if you would. I think Colossians 3 gives us a key to seeing how these, how, how we can put this into practice. I, I realize a lot of words up there. Don't, don't worry about reading them all right now. I'm going to point out a few things in a minute. But were you to compare Colossians 3 with Ephesians 4 and 5, you'd see a remarkable number of similarities. Paul wrote both letters, one to the church in Ephesus, one to the church in Colossae, and the teaching in both of these letters is very, very similar. Now, that shouldn't surprise us since there's really one standard of Christian godliness for all people, whether you live in Colossae, Ephesus, Muncie, it doesn't really matter. There's one standard of godliness we're to pursue. And as you walk through these passages, you will notice a lot of similarities. I'd actually encourage you to check this out in your devotions this week. Maybe just jot down Ephesians 4, 31 through 5, 25, Colossians 1, 1 through 19. And this week, compare, you know, just kind of literally like flip back and forth and notice all the similarities. But let me show you a few similarities. First, both begin with an emphasis on us being new in Christ. So bring up that next slide. Both, both stress, we're forgiven, we're raised with Christ. Moving on, bring up the next one. Both emphasize how we're to fight anger, bitterness, wrath, slander. And it's interesting that a lot of the identical words are used in both passages. Next, there's a call to fight sexual sin. Sexual immorality, impurity, I won't read the entire thing right now. You can hopefully see the connections. And both sections conclude with what's called household codes. Bring up the next one. Uh, husbands leading in the household, wives submitting to their hu husbands. See all the similarities? Again, in your devotions this week, compare and contrast to see all the similarities. Now, that being said, what would the parallel to being filled with the Holy Spirit in Colossians 3 be? Got a guess? Bring up the next slide if you would. Very clearly, the parallel to being filled with the Spirit in Colossians is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And you can even see that if you follow along. Addressing one another psalms, hymns, hymns, and spiritual songs, you jump over to the Colossians passage, teaching one another psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. So this here, I think, is a key to understanding rightly what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I let the Holy Spirit's words so fill my life, so fill my heart, that I'm transformed by them so that I think and act like Jesus. You following me? Now, what we're seeing this morning is totally consistent with what the rest of the Bible teaches about the secret to the transformed life. 
The entire Bible constantly emphasizes that the secret to the abundant, blessed, rich, spiritually stable life is what? Meditation on the Word of God. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Psalm 1, 1 and following, Stu read this as our call to worship. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Really, the entirety of Psalm 119 is on this theme. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Matthew 7, 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We could keep going. But from beginning to end, the Bible is constantly pointing to me filling myself with the Spirit-inspired words as the secret to a rich, fruitful life. How does this relate to being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, this is where you've kind of got to tie together some of what we've seen in previous sermons. Remember where we talked about the Spirit's ministry in inspiring Scripture? You know, the Spirit is the one controlling David and Moses and Peter and Paul to write the words that are in your Bible. So where are the Holy Spirit's words today? Say I wanted to interact with the Holy Spirit, hear from the Holy Spirit, where, where should I turn? I should turn to the Bible, because every last word in here is the word of the Spirit. What Scripture says, the Spirit says. So if I want to fill myself to the point where I'm controlled by the Spirit, what am I doing? I'm filling myself with His words. I'm letting the word of Christ dwell in me richly. I'm meditating on the word day and night. You follow me? Charles Spurgeon, as you know, is one of my historical heroes. He read the entire Bible cover to cover over 100 times and died in his 50s. So I've got a long, long way to go to catch up to him. I don't think I'll ever catch up to him. But listen to what he said about getting the Bible into your heart and life. He said, Bible study is the meat that makes a Christian. This is the strong meat on which holy men are nourished. This is that which makes the bone and sinew of men in defiance of every adversity. In my own life, I can testify that nothing has come close, nothing has come close to transforming my life as deep immersion in God's Word. I mean, I know I've told you my testimony before, but I was a lazy, goof-off teenager who really just lived for, like, video games and professional wrestling, my shame. I think I was saved when I was around four, but I, for most of my teenage years, just kind of floundered and didn't really know what was going on, didn't know what I was doing, not much stability, not much joy, not much direction. But then the Lord, and really it was, you know, looking back, it was his providence, but I, I just kind of on a whim went to this place called Word of Life Bible Institute, which is admittedly a rather peculiar school. Um, but for me, it was perfect. It was ideal. All you do for two years is study the Bible. So imagine a college where all you do is study the Bible for two years. For me, it was exactly what I needed. We had classes on Bible content, theology, different books of the Bible, apologetics, evangelism. I mean, just Bible, 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 Bible all, all day long. Uh, on the weekends, we'd go do something like street evangelism or get involved with local churches. It took a while, but after about six months, I started to discover that I was a rather different person. And, and, and it, was, it was really rather weird because it wasn't like I was, you know, it's kind of like watching your kids grow up. You know, they're growing up in front of you and you don't really see it, but then you look at pictures and you're like, oh my goodness, you know, Benjamin's a totally different person. That's kind of how it was in my own life. I noticed my speech was dramatically transformed. You know, I, to my shame, I was kind of a profane teenager, but I just noticed I didn't talk that way anymore. And it wasn't an intentional thing, like, okay, I can't use this word, can't use this word, can't, it just, you know, my, my speech was different. 
Complaining was replaced with gratitude. Discouragement was replaced with joy. I kind of wonder if that was like the first time I actually got joy. Valuing the things of this world replaced with valuing the things of God. And no more was I interested in watching professional wrestling. I'd much rather read a theology book. And again, most of this wasn't even intentional. It wasn't like I was forcing myself, okay, no more professional wrestling, must read theology. It was just like the things of this world grew strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Over time, I noticed myself becoming more confident. I started taking my studies a lot more seriously. Um, you know, I was like a C student in high school, and I won't tell you how I did in seminary, but I, I didn't do half bad, praise God. Started taking on leadership opportunities at church. They started asking me to teach, asking me to preach, which I never dreamed I'd ever do. I was a very shy child. But next thing you know, I've been a pastor for 20 years now. And realized that did not happen overnight. And it did not happen using the one-minute Bible. We're talking multiple hours every day over the course of months, but radical transformation. Now, obviously, not everybody can attend a Bible institute, and that's totally fine. But all of us do have the freedom and the ability to just inundate ourselves with God's Word to the point that it starts changing us from the inside out. And if you'll do that, if you'll keep doing that, you can be similarly transformed. For that reason, let's see if we can get specific. And I want to conclude with some reflections on filling ourselves with the Spirit's words. Some reflections on filling ourselves with the Spirit's words. And under this heading, I want to give you some quick thoughts on doing this individually, doing this corporately, and then speaking God's words to others. So first, how might we fill ourselves with the Spirit's words individually? Well, if what we're talking about this morning is true, then we do need something considerably more challenging, more nourishing than, again, something like the one-minute Bible uh, or even our daily bread. Uh, Those are great supplements, don't get me wrong, but I think those are kind of comparable to eating a dinner mint after dinner mint. You know, imagine if all you ever ate was an after-dinner mint. Uh, Would you survive very long? Probably not. I mean, it's not bad. Everybody, you know, appreciates good breath, but but that is not going to sustain you for the long run. So also, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit to the point that your life is transformed, we're talking about serious Bible intake. Uh, Taking this like, like one of the major goals of my life is to imbibe the Bible. Now, I know we've talked a lot about Bible reading, Bible study, Bible intake over the years, so I won't belabor it now, and you know, the beginning of the year is coming up pretty soon, we'll have another sermon on it then. But hopefully you have a challenging plan that works for you, and one where you can tell over months, over years, God is renewing my mind, God is changing me, the Spirit is filling me. For some people, and I know that includes some of you, you read the entire Bible cover to cover, and if that is, again, challenging and doable, keep at it, praise God. And yet do realize that if you've never tried it before, it does take a good bit of time and discipline. So it might not be ideal for everybody, especially brand new Christians. Others of you, you study one book intensely for months. Maybe take the entire year to work through Romans, Genesis, wonderful way to get God's word into your heart and mind. Others get into scripture memory programs. And honestly, that's what I've been doing the last, say, six months or so. I've been really kind of convicted that I kind of forgot about scripture memory. It was great when I was younger, but I, but I kind of to my shame, felt like I outgrew it. You know, shame on me, that's not, that's not true at all. So for the last six months or so, I've really been focusing on that. Other people hand copy large sections of scripture, which is again very beneficial. Write your own paraphrase. Again, however you do it, there are definitely ways where you can get God's word into your mind, into your heart on a daily basis. But in addition to that, I'd also encourage you to take advantage of spare bits and time here and there. 
One of my great temptations is to think, oh, I did my morning devotions, I can put the Bible on the shelf and basically not even think much about it for the rest of the day. Anybody ever been there? That's a great temptation to be aware of and to avoid. So, so do things to kind of fill the bits and pieces of your day with Bible. As you drive around town, you might listen to an audio Bible or good sermons. And if you're looking for examples, you know, good preachers to listen to, let me know and I can direct you to some at the door. You can put the Bible on your phone or your Kindle and read a chapter or two while you're sitting there at your lunch break. You can watch good Bible teaching videos on Sermon Audio or even on YouTube, but do be very, very careful with YouTube. There's lots of, lots of junk on there. Watch those maybe once a week instead of Wheel of Fortune. Don't forget Christian music, another good way to fill your mind and your heart with the Word of God, but again, I'd encourage caution there. Not all Christian music is equally good or doctrinally sound, so listen to the good stuff. Along these lines, I might commend to you something called Seeds Family Worship. Seeds Family Worship, they basically, not basically, they literally take passages of Scripture and verbatim turn them into songs. So you're hearing a cool song, it's kind of like a, you, you listen to it and you can tell me what genre you think it is, uh, but it's, it's literally the Word of God. Check out Seeds Family Worship. We could keep going, but there are countless ways that you can easily fill yourself with the Spirit's words every day and throughout the day. But however you do it, the point is that you do it in some way. Even if you hate reading, even if you're literally illiterate, which I know that there are people in that category, with the technology we have, there are still ways that you can flood your mind and your heart with the Spirit's words. So what is your plan for filling yourself with the Spirit's words on an individual basis? What are you going to do? Quickly, a few reflections on filling yourself with the Spirit's words corporately in, in gatherings. Now, obviously, most churches provide several opportunities throughout the week to learn and to meditate on God's Word, and I'd encourage you to take advantage of as many of these as you're able. Here at Trinity, we have Sunday school on Sunday mornings at 10, uh, no, pardon me, 9.30 uh, for every age group, and I encourage you to be there if you can. Obviously, we've got the Sunday worship service, which you're at right now. In addition to that, we have Wednesday night Bible study, Thursday online Bible study. We've got two different small groups that meet to discuss God's Word together. You can check our website or talk to me at the door for any of the times of these meetings. Now, I totally recognize that people have jobs, you have lives, and because of that, you can't attend church every time the doors are open. And that's totally fine. Don't, don't feel any shame or guilt about that. I mean, if you're still at work, if you need to get your infant in bed, if you're not comfortable driving after dark, if you're ill, it's totally understandable. The Lord understands that. I'd encourage you to prioritize Lord's Day worship, but view these other opportunities as more supplemental. That being said, I do know that a lot of people skip these meetings just to stay home and watch TV. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to reconsider. I mean, like we've seen this morning, filling yourself with the Spirit's words is key to being transformed. It's vital to a spiritually stable, spiritually prosperous life. And, well, of course, it's going to require you to put your shoes on, your coat on, drive across town. You can think of it this way. In a thousand years... Which are you going to wish you had done more of? Watch Jeopardy or attend, say, Wednesday night Bible study? Just a thought. For additional opportunities to be filled with the Spirit's words, I'd encourage you to prioritize attending corporate Bible teaching opportunities. Lastly, let me give you a few reflections on speaking God's words to others. To be filled with the Holy Spirit... Here's some reflections on speaking the Spirit's words to others. Now, earlier I said that in the Old Testament, being filled with the Holy Spirit is most commonly connected with speaking God's Word. Do you remember that? Be it David, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Mary, when they were filled with God's Spirit, one of the benefits of that, fruits of that, was that they spoke on God's behalf. 
Now you think about it, but in one sense, this only makes sense. We inevitably talk about what we fill ourselves with. We inevitably talk about what we fill ourselves with. If you fill yourself with football, what are you going to talk to your friends about? Football. If you, you fill yourself with political commentary and you know, what's going on in the larger world, you're inevitably going to talk about it. It's kind of a law of nature. You can't not talk about what you filled your heart with. Or to use Jesus' words, Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, because of that, there is a true sense in which how much you speak God's words to others, that is, in a way, a barometer of how filled you are with God's Spirit. How much you speak God's words to others. And this could be your kids, spouse, coworker, neighbors. Just kind of how often it just sort of comes out of you in natural conversation. That is, in a way, a barometer of how filled you are with God's Spirit. That being the case, I'd encourage you to take a look at your own life. Do you find yourself just sort of naturally, almost instinctively, bringing up God, bringing up the things of God, bringing God's position to bear, speaking a particular verse into a topic? Or are you just so preoccupied with so many other things that it doesn't even occur to you to speak on God's behalf? Additionally, think about this coming from the other direction. Realize that you making intentional efforts to speak God's words, that's a way to fill yourself with God's words. We often think that speaking for God, it's good for the other person, and it certainly is good for the other person, but it's also good for you because you're filling your mind and your heart at that moment with the word of God. So I'd encourage you to be intentional here, just like you're intentional with other things that are important to you, be intentional about speaking God's words to others. After this sermon, make your first words to one another, uh, not about the weather or about the football game this afternoon, but about what stood out to you from this sermon. When you run into your fellow church members at Walmart, which happens to me quite often, you might just tell them, you know, the Lord's been doing this or that in my life. Let me tell you about it. When your unbelieving coworker asks you, what'd you do over the weekend? You might say, well, you know, I heard this rather mediocre sermon from this mediocre preacher on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you about it. When your kids ask you a thousand questions about every conceivable area of life, uh, don't get frustrated and don't tell them to pipe down. Instead, use that as an opportunity to fill in their worldview with Scripture truth. Speaking the Word of God, speaking the Spirit's words to others is one of the most effective ways to fill your heart and life with the Word of God. But will you take me up on that? Will you take advantage of that? Well, this then is the great secret to life, the secret that everybody's looking for. Everybody's on the hunt for, and they don't even realize it. They're looking to be filled with God's Spirit. Being filled with God's Spirit, it will transform your life, making you more grateful, loving, confident, content. And being filled with God's Spirit, it happens when we so flood our minds, flood our hearts with the Word of Christ that we begin thinking God's thoughts after Him, and godly responses become second nature. Now, in conclusion, I want to again address those of you who might be here today who are not Christians, who are not yet trusting in the Lord Jesus. If that's you, we're delighted you're here. Thank you for coming, literally. I maybe consider coming every Sunday morning, 10.30, 10.45, you get some free coffee, free donuts if there are any left, and hopefully we'll model for you what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But if you're in that category, I do ask you, have you understood what I've said to you today? There is a secret to life. There is a secret that can transform you and, and, and make you new. And yet, as you stand right now, you are cut off from that secret. You're outside of that secret because you're outside of Jesus. 
Realize until you come to Jesus, being filled with the Spirit is simply an impossibility for you. It's not an option. Jesus himself said as much in John 7, 37. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. I say it again, until you come to Jesus, being filled with the Spirit is simply not an option. But realize that right now, Jesus is inviting you. Right now, Jesus is imploring you. He is commanding you. Come to him. Trust in him. Put your hope in him. He'll forgive you of all of your sins, past, present, and future. He'll adopt you into his family. And he'll give you his Holy Spirit so that you can begin being filled with the Holy Spirit today. The Bible tells us that you were made to know God. All of us, regardless of our foolish sins and mistakes, our disabilities, our foibles, our eccentricities, we were made to know God, to have a relationship with the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. And yet the reality of it is we've sinned and rejected our Creator. We've told God to get lost. We don't want you messing with my life. Don't tell me how to live. I'd rather live my own life, thank you very much. That's what we've all done. Now, because God is holy and righteous, he will punish us for our rebellion. He will punish us for our sins. And if our sins are not forgiven, if we're not reconciled to our creator, we'll experience the eternal punishment our sins deserve forever in that place called hell. But under those very circumstances, God loved us. He loved us and did something to reconcile himself to us, to, to fix the relationship we destroyed. God lovingly provided a Savior for every last one of us, a Savior who is his own Son. God the Father sent God the Son down from heaven, born as a baby and given the name Jesus. Jesus, fully God, fully man, in one person. He grows up, lives a perfect life of obedience, never sins in any way, shape, or form. But if you know the rest of the story, you know that Jesus died a horrifying death. In his mid-30s, he's arrested, nailed to a cross, tortured, and tortured to death. But what the Bible tells us is that on that cross, Jesus is bearing the wrath of God sinners deserve. This is how God can remain holy while forgiving us rebels. Jesus dies as a substitutionary sacrifice. All the wrath, all the punishment, all the judgment I deserve for my rebellion is poured out on Jesus on the cross, and he absorbs it completely in my place. Three days later, God the Father raises Jesus from the dead to demonstrate that our hope is not in vain. And now, in response, Jesus is calling you. Whoever you are, he is calling you. Turn from your sin. Embrace me. Be forgiven. Stop running. Stop, stop trying to live life your own way. Embrace me and be reconciled to your creator. Enter back into that relationship you were made for. This is why Jesus came to earth to reconcile us to God, to forgive us of our sins, and to give us his Holy Spirit. And like I've said already, until we come to Jesus, we're cut off. We're simply cut off from the secret to life, which is being filled with the Holy Spirit. So in conclusion, come to Jesus now. Come to Jesus now. Right where you are, turn from sin. Stop running. Stop saying, God, no way, Jose. I'm not living your way. Stop and turn back. Embrace Jesus' cross. Embrace the empty tomb. Be made right with God right now. And as always, if any of you would like to discuss this further, need clarification on something that I've said, would like somebody to pray with you, pray for you, please talk to me after the service. We'll be at the front door to greet people on the way out. 
But trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, and today receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Oh, dear God, thank you so much for the gift of your Spirit. Lord, it's simply one of the thousands of things Jesus purchased for all of his believing people. We thank you, especially this morning, for this ministry of filling, uh, that we can be so flooded with the words of the Spirit, the thoughts of the Spirit, the Word of Christ can so dwell in us that we're dramatically transformed from the inside out. We thank you for that. We do pray that for all of us, this would increasingly be our experience, uh, that we'd make time every day to fill ourselves, that we'd take advantage of corporate opportunities to be filled with the Spirit's words, that we'd speak the Spirit's words to others. And as that takes place over time, over the years, that we would be increasingly conformed to the image of your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.